the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 262 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. We're glad because our suffering means that we're in the same company of these godly men. And therefore, it proves that we too, like them, belong to Jesus Christ. That's his point. This is a statement of assurance of our salvation. It means that persecution causes us to stand in the same ranks as the prophets of old and therefore proves that like them, we're genuine believers. The ability to view persecution as a blessing requires a massive and fundamental change from our natural perspective. But persecution, when it comes because of our love for Jesus Christ, can be one of the strongest evidences in our lives that we truly belong to God. Pastor Steve is here to explain more as he completes this sermon from Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. So it's going to happen. And when it does happen, what you want to keep from is being bitter, taking it personal, getting angry towards those who slander you. And once again, the key here is to remember it's not about you. It may look like it's about you, but it's not. It's about Jesus himself. You're being attacked because you're a follower of Christ. And that's why, that's why Jesus closed verse 11 with these words. Another reminder, because of me. They just resent that your life reflects his character. That's why. Keep in mind, the world has no problem with, with decency, good citizenship, even, even good morals in its place. They have no problem with that. What they do have a problem with is Christ's righteousness, is holiness. It's someone who is uh, zealous to follow Jesus Christ and, and being upright in motives and heart. That is what rebukes them. Nearly 2,000 years ago, English preacher Thomas Scott said these words, The wicked hate the holy image of God and those who bear it. His holy truth and those who profess and preach it. His holy law and those who stand up for its obligations and authority. His holy ordinances and those who attend on them. You know what's fascinating, though? Regardless of what the world says about us, Jesus said in verse, uh, verses 10 and 11 that we're blessed. We've been blessed by God. Now, isn't that interesting? The world curses us, but God blesses us. Arthur Pink, commenting on this in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, says this, It is a strong proof of human depravity that men's curses and Christ's blessings should meet on the same persons. But they do. They meet on us. And it's all right. You know why? Because it really doesn't matter what the world says to us. What matters is what God says about us. That's, that's all that's really important. But keep in mind, how you respond to what the world says about you is very important. What they say in substance really doesn't matter. But how you respond to what they say, that is critical. Your testimony is at stake. God's word is at stake. And that's why Jesus closed, verse, uh, closed this beatitude, the eighth beatitude in verse 12, by telling us 
how we should respond to persecution. We've seen the fact of persecution, its forms. Now we're going to look at the frame of mind that is needed when you are persecuted. What should be our attitude? Notice verse 12. This is terrific. Jesus said, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way that they persecuted the prophets or the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In spite of the fact that persecution can be very painful, very difficult, rejection is is a hard thing to deal with, especially when it comes from loved ones. The Lord says, rejoice. And, And I want you to notice this, not only rejoice, notice what he actually said. He said, rejoice and be glad. Easy to overlook that expression and be glad. In fact, that's a very mild translation of of this Greek word. This particular Greek word that's translated be glad is a word full of life, energy. It's a dynamic word. It's not a passive word. This, This particular Greek word that's translated glad means to be overjoyed. It means to rejoice greatly. In fact, in Luke's account of the same statement, Jesus said, that we should leap for joy. That's, the, that's really a great translation of this. In other literature, it says skip for joy. Leap for joy. We would say jump for joy. The word carries with it the thought of happy excitement, of uh, unrestrained gladness. It speaks of, of deep, intense, fervent joy. So it's not just rejoice and be glad. Uh, it's not that. It's rejoice and leap for joy a tremendous word. In fact, this is the very word that Luke uses in Acts 16 to express the, the Philippian jailer's response when he and his family were saved. It says they rejo- he was rejoicing greatly. Peter uses this very same word in 1 Peter 1.8 when he says, greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Can't even fully express it. It's so deep and, and exciting. Now, in light of what our Lord has said, this is an amazing command, and it is a command, by the way. It's not an option. It's a command given by Christ. In the face, he's saying of being insulted, harshly treated, lied about. He said, I am telling you to rejoice greatly. That's not what we might have expected Jesus to say. You know what I might have expected him to say? They're going to treat you that way. You know what? You go to me in prayer and you pray an imprecatory psalm on them and I'll rain down fury upon them. They can't treat you that way. You're one of my children. Fight back, retaliate. Don't they know that you're a child of the king? Why do I say that? I, I think that's our natural response to say, well, I'll, I'll pray for them and I'll pray they'll get sick. I'll pray <laughs> leprosy upon them or something like that. I'll pray they lose their bank accounts. Yeah, I'll pray for them. Because you know what? The apostles, John and James, that was their reaction when, when Jesus and, and they were persecuted. Let me show you this. Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, you see this very attitude, and our Lord rebuked these men. And, and we really would do the same thing. It's not just, just them, but Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 51, it said, when the days were approaching for his ascension, meaning that the days were coming when he would go to the cross and die and then be resurrected and ascend. When those days were approaching, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. Jesus had to go to Jerusalem. That's where it all took place. And he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. See, the way you would go 
from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem, the, the quickest way is through Samaria. What's known today, by the way, is the West Bank. That's biblically, uh, biblical Judea and Samaria. You could go another way, but it would be longer. So the Lord sends some uh, messengers along to prepare a place in a Samaritan village. That would be the quickest way as you headed north to the uh, going south to Jerusalem. But notice this. Verse 53, but they did not, meaning the Samaritan village, they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. Now, what this means is that, number one, he was Jewish. And number two, he was heading towards the center for Judaism. And they weren't going to tolerate it. They're not letting a Jew in their Samaritan village, especially one who's going to Jerusalem. That's, that's what it means. An amazing statement. And you can understand why the disciples were upset why they were upset. And it says in verse 54, when his disciples, James and John saw this, this is John, by the way, who's later known as the beloved disciple. The one who preaches love had had a a number of uh, sanctifying issues to resolve in his own life. When James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Great missionary spirit, isn't it? You know, (laughs) yes, this is our mission field, but you know what? Here's what Jesus said. He turned and rebuked them and said, you don't know what kind of spirit you are of. What a great statement. For the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And so they went on to another village. A great, great truth. Jesus rebuked them. You know why? Because they didn't understand his heart. These guys missed it. They didn't understand after all, after all the, this time with him, they didn't know what his heart was his heart of compassion towards the lost. He made it very clear that his attitude towards unbelievers who opposed him and the attitude that all of us should have towards those who persecute us, lost who persecute us, is to love them. It's grace. It's not, it's not hostility. It's not hurting them. It's grace. Jesus came to save hostile sinners, not destroy them. Now there's coming a day in which God will pour down wrath upon unbelievers, but this isn't the day. Not now. The way we're to respond to unbelievers now in this, in this era is to help them to be saved. That's why Jesus came. It's to explain the gospel to them. We're called to share the gospel with those who hate us. Those who are hostile, we're not to react in hostility towards them. We're to react in, in love. In fact, if you look back at, at John's gospel, the John 15 the two verses I purposely left out between John 15 and John 16 about persecution is this. Verse 26 says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father. He'll testify about me. Jesus is saying that after I go, the Holy Spirit will come and he will testify of me. And then he makes this comment in verse 27. And you will testify also because you've been with me from the beginning. I take it that what the Lord means is that the Holy Spirit will testify through you as you give testimony of me. What he's saying is the way to respond to hostility and persecution is to not retreat, not to form your own community and never venture out, not to hate unbelievers who persecute you, but to be amongst them so you can share the gospel with them, testify of me regardless of what they do to you. So that's how we're to respond, folks, to those who persecute us. We're to, we're to proclaim the gospel to them and, and love them. But as you, as you look back at Matthew 5, 12, 
We see that Jesus, though that's an important truth that I just covered, but Jesus is not focusing on that truth in, in this beatitude. He's not focusing on our response to our persecutors. What he is focusing on is our attitude and frame of mind when we are persecuted, not towards them. I just wanted to bring this, this in so you understand this, but this beatitude is telling us that when we are hit with opposition to the gospel, we are to rejoice greatly. Now, the question is, why? Why? Why should we be happy when people insult us? Isn't that a bit odd? What's there to rejoice over when you're mistreated, ridiculed, rejected, slandered, beat up, mocked, and, and on and on it goes? Well, Jesus gave two reasons, and I want you to write this down, because this is what you have to remember when you're persecuted. Two reasons why we should rejoice in the face of persecution. Number one, Jesus said, rejoice greatly because your reward in heaven is great. That's number one. We're not told to rejoice because we enjoy persecution. Anybody says, I enjoy persecution. That's bizarre. That's, that's, they're, they're not in their right mind. Nobody enjoys it for the sake of, of persecution. The reason Jesus gave for rejoicing is that he's going to reward us for suffering for him. Think about that. He will reward you for suffering. Now, that's, that is amazingly gracious of him. We don't deserve any reward for, for obeying him and being persecuted. We're unworthy servants. It's an honor to suffer for Christ. And in fact, that's what the apostles said when, when they suffered. It said they, they, they just uh, rejoiced because they counted, they were considered worthy to suffer for his name. And yet God says here that he will not permit any hardship that we experience for his sake to go unrewarded. He doesn't have to do that. He's rewarding me for doing what I'm supposed to do. Amazing. So what exactly is this reward? Well, we're not told. We're not told. In fact, rewards in scripture are rather vague. We're told that there are rewards for obedience, but we're not really told exactly what they are. The Bible compares future rewards to crowns worn by uh, victorious athletes, but we, we just haven't been told any definite features of, the, uh, of these rewards. However, even though we may not know the precise nature of our rewards, we are told that they're great. See that in verse 12? He says, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. I may not know exactly what it is, but it's good enough for me. If God says it's great in second Corinthians four, seven, 17, rather the apostle Paul said for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. That's an amazing statement because you look at how Paul was persecuted and I wouldn't have called it momentary light affliction. Maybe what you and I have gotten would be momentary light affliction, but Paul endured so much. And yet he said, compared to the weight of glory that's coming for me and for all of us, it's just momentary. It's just very light. It's just light in comparison to the great weight of glory awaiting us in heaven. Future glory, folks, outweighs anything that you're going through now. Listen, regardless of what you are called upon to endure, there is a reward for you. I recognize that some, some are, are have difficult situations. Perhaps you're belittled, you're misunderstood for your faith by an unbelieving spouse. No matter what you do, it's not right. They'll tell you, well, you're not the person I married. You've changed. 
Oftentimes, an unsaved husband will say, you're not submissive to me. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? Oftentimes, an unsaved uh, wife will be very cold and frigid, unresponsive to her husband. I mean, there's all kinds of things. I understand that. But you have a reward that's great in heaven. Some know the pain of being rejected by religious but lost family members. And there's nothing quite cutting like that. These are the people who raised you. These are the, this is the world, the only world you've known. And yet they don't really want to have anything to do with you. Not unless you denounce Christ. Some of us are going through being ridiculed by being honest, having integrity, having morals. Co-workers and, and others might mock you and say something like, nobody remains a, a virgin these days till they get married. That's unheard of. Wake up. That's ancient. And maybe some of you will be even physically abused for the sake of the gospel. But regardless of what happens, you can rejoice because God has a reward, a great reward waiting you, waiting for you in heaven. And so think about that, not just the trials, but this great reward. But secondly, secondly, there's a second reason Jesus gives for rejoicing greatly. The first is that there's a great reward waiting for you. This, this affliction is just momentary, very light. He goes on to give us a second reason, which is tremendous. He says, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, why would Jesus bring up the Old Testament prophets? What do they have to do with anything? Why should their persecution cause us to rejoice? Are we happy because they went through persecution? I'm not happy because they went through persecution. I wish they hadn't. I'm not happy because they suffered. No, we're glad because our suffering means that we're in the same company of these godly men. And therefore, it proves that we too, like them, belong to Jesus Christ. That's his point. This is a statement of assurance of our salvation. It means that persecution causes us to stand in the same ranks as the prophets of old, and therefore proves that, that like them, we're genuine believers. Well, how do you know that? Why were they persecuted? For righteousness. If they were not righteous in their behavior by God's grace, they, they would not be persecuted. If you are persecuted for righteousness, it means just like them, you are citizens of his kingdom. That's the point. In other words, the reason we can rejoice in the face of persecution is because persecution assures us that just like these prophets of old, we are authentic believers. Otherwise, you would never be persecuted. Nobody's going to persecute you for righteousness unless you're righteous in your character. Listen, this is an assurance verse. The assurance, and listen very closely, the assurance of, of salvation must never be based upon some decision you made sometime in the past. I say that because that is very, very typical of an American evangelical. Somebody will say, well, we'll, say, well how do you know you're a believer? Well, when I was, when I was young, I uh, heard an invitation in a church. I walked an aisle. There was a counselor there who prayed with me, and I was baptized, in fact, right after that. And they told me that I was saved. Okay, well, that was when you were young. Now, now you're an adult. Uh, in all of this time, is there evidence in your life? Have you been following Christ? No. Have you read your Bible? No. Have you obeyed anything in the Bible? No, not really. Do you desire to? Well, no, not really. But I know I'm a Christian because my mom says I am. That's right. My dad reminds me that I, I prayed the sinner's prayer. I made a decision. 
Listen, that's a serious problem. A person like that is going to, if they don't accept Christ, going to die and go to hell, thinking that they're a Christian. Now, I say that to you because that's the truth. The proof that you are a child of God is not because you made some vague kind of religious decision in the past. The proof is that having come to Christ in repentance and faith, your character has been changed from unrighteousness to righteousness. And there will be suffering at times because of it. That's, that's the message of scripture. The world will not tolerate a righteous life. They will tolerate those who make professions of faith, but don't live it out. So don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. You are not a believer because you made some kind of past decision that has never affected your, your present life. You are a believer if in the past you, you've repented and trusted Christ and there's an evidence of godliness in your life, not perfection, but, but a godly desire. So the world will not tolerate those who are poor in spirit. They're, you're going to suffer for it. They'll not tolerate those who mourn over their sin. They'll not tolerate those who are gentle, those who long for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers. They'll make you pay for that kind of godly behavior. They'll make you pay for it. They'll not make you pay for walking an aisle. Nobody pays for that. In fact, they might applaud you for that. But they'll not make you pay for it. But if you, if you are a, a kingdom kind of person in terms of your lifestyle, they'll make you pay. And when they do, you're to rejoice. You're to rejoice because regardless of what they take from you on earth, your dignity, your property, your life, you have a reward, a great reward awaiting you in heaven. And you have the assurance that you're going to heaven when you die because you've been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. But listen, if you don't have assurance, it means one of two things. Sometimes it means that you're a believer who just lacks assurance. Believers do at times lack assurance of their salvation. If you are truly a believer, you've really repented, you're trusting in Christ, there is evidence of change in your life. Sometimes we have assurance problems because, number one, it could be doubts from Satan. Sometimes it just could be ignorance of what the Bible says. Other times it just could be people confusing you, or you're trying to base your assurance on your feelings. You have to believe the promises of God. Rest in his word. 1 John 5, 13. These things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. What things? There'll be evidence in your life. Read 1 John, and if you pass those tests, you're a believer. But secondly, some don't have assurance because they shouldn't have assurance. They're, they're not believers. I urge you, if you've never really repented of your, from your sin and turned to Christ to save you and, and have evidence of that in your life, you're not a believer. And be careful of the evidence. The evidence is not that you go to church. Pharisees can go to church. The evidence is not that, well, I stopped smoking and I stopped drinking. That's good. But the evidence is character. It's character. It's motives. It's, it's qualities of, uh, in you now. It's desires. Do you desire to please the Lord no matter what? No matter what. If that's the case, then you're a believer because it's the evidence of regeneration. Well, let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for such a, a pointed, strong passage of Scripture. Thank you for letting us as a church study the Beatitudes, and especially this one, Lord. And I pray that you'll help us to take these truths to heart. I pray that there'll be uh, 
none here, Lord, who would hear these words and remain self-deceived. I pray that the Spirit of God will use the Word of God to quicken life within them, to bring them to repentance and faith. I pray for those who are dear believers who should have and could have assurance, but they're struggling. I pray that, that this will help them. And Lord, I pray for those who are in the midst of persecution right now. May they be consoled and comforted by the great, the great truth that their reward is great in heaven. And they're going to heaven when they die. It won't always be this difficult. And they're not alone. Everybody, every believer has experienced it. Jesus went through it. The apostles endured it. Those godly men and women known as the Puritans, the Reformers, they went through it from religious sources. So, Lord, help us to take courage by that. And I pray that you'll help us, no matter what, Lord, to live out kingdom truth in a fallen world. Beatitude qualities in a world that will not tolerate those qualities. May we be true to you regardless of the, of, uh, the consequences. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have questions about what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, we invite you to give us a call. Perhaps you have just made a decision for Christ as a result of the teaching you heard on this program. We would love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 727-239-0306. We would like to say a very special word of thanks to those who support this ministry with their prayers or financial gifts. Your support is an important part of this work. Now, three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.